Um, let's pray. Uh, Father, Son, Spirit, I thank you for this time. I thank you for my brothers and sisters gathered here on a day that feels dark um, and rainy and cold. And Lord, thank you for each person that you have brought to this place. Um, Lord, you made each of us, and you know each of us intimately. Um, you may feel like a stranger to us, but none of us are strangers to you. And Lord, um, we thank you for your word, for this prophecy that was written about the Lord Jesus long before anyone could possibly have even imagined what he would be like and what his coming would be like. And uh, Lord, we thank you that we've read it, and that is enough for you to um, do your work through it in our hearts. But Lord, we pray that you would be with us. It's good to hear your word. It's beautiful. Uh, it's, it would be good for me to say some things that were helpful, um, but Lord, it would be really the desire of each of our hearts if you would just show up to us now and that you would speak to us, that you would give living words and healing words, words that, that are a calling to us, words that change our life. Lord, we want to encounter you during this time and not just encounter some ideas. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be with us by your Spirit as we open your word, that we would be drawn to you, Lord Jesus, and that we would learn uh, to long for your coming because on that day, Lord, everything will change. So uh, even as we do this now, Lord, we pray, come Lord Jesus, and pray in your name, amen. Um, so I don't know if you noticed, so when Rob was praying earlier, one of our elders, Rob, um, he was praying for Cecil Davis, whose father is going through a lot right now, and I noticed when he was praying that Cecil's mother's name is Cecilia, which I didn't know until today, which I love. I'm like, just normalized little boys being named after their moms is incredible. Like, if you want to raise a powerful son, name after his mom. Um, but then I learned from Cecil, because I asked him, that actually his mom is named after her dad, who is named after his dad. Cecil, Cecil, Cecilia, Cecil. And how he could have four children and not continue that really blew my mind. But um, <laughs> I was like, Camille, you could have been Cecilia. Um, she did not want to be Cecilia. But... Um, it's something beautiful about that because it's not just that the name is like passed down, it's that the, the memory and the, the presence of this person is passed down through this name, that, that, you know, this person lived and mattered and they had a story and that story is passed down through the name. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, when I was uh, uh, in utero, um, when my mom was pregnant, she, uh, she and my dad had disagreements about what to, what to name me, and my dad wanted me to be named after him. So my name would have been Stephen Jerome Horn Jr., um, the great New Testament name, a great Pope name, you know, the strong. And, um, but that would have, like, as life unfurled, would have been really strange to be, like, the junior of someone that I don't really know. I never really knew um, very well, and uh, haven't spoken with in multiple decades now, and it would be weird to be like embodied like the junior of that person. They ended up choosing a name, which is interesting, um, Christopher Stephen Horn, so I do have my dad's uh, middle name, or his first name as my middle name, but uh, the name Christopher, um, I didn't realize this until I was in seminary and was taking Greek, 
by its two words in Greek, Christos, which it means Christ, and Pharaoh, P-H-E-R-O um, in, in English, means to, to carry something or to bear something. Like if you carried a load of groceries or you put on a backpack, you were a Pharaoh, you were carrying um, something or bearing something. And so the name Christopher actually means someone who bears Christ, someone that carries Jesus. And that's a person that I would not know for multiple decades until I was an adult. And now that's literally my life. That's what I do is carry Jesus to places. And it's beautiful how God really instills this significance sometimes into names. And the passage that we just read in this little section there in chapter, I mean in uh, verse 6, is these four names that are given to this child who is going to come, this son who would be given. And it's one long name, but we've broken up into four, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And this morning we're on the Everlasting Father. Now, I've spent most of the week really confused and honestly like anxious to talk about this passage because I could not get my mind around, like, who made the mistake to call Jesus the Father? Like, didn't they know? You know, like... There is already a God the Father, or like, was God the Father naming him after himself? I couldn't figure it out. Um, and spent some time exploring that, how could Jesus, the one that we know as God the Son, be referred to as an everlasting Father? Um, so what's not happening here is that God the Son and God the Father are not being combined into one. Um, they are distinct persons, God the Father and God the Son. This isn't a Trinitarian name. But it's not saying that Jesus is the Father, but that Jesus is a Father. That this one, this Emmanuel, this Messiah coming, would be a Father. A Father of what? And I mean, this is the, I never do this, but this is for you, Joey, okay? Um, I gave a Greek, some Greek words just to prove I went to seminary. All right, here's some Hebrew words um, about what this means. What does it mean? Because I really struggled to know what is this talking about. And I'm pretty sure that's why Giorgio asked me to do this week. But um, that's okay. Father of what? So the word there is abiyad. So ab means father. And ad, father of what, means eternity or eternal time. That what it's saying here is that Jesus is a father of eternity. Like if you know people in the Bible, Abraham, Abraham, means father ab, of many nations. Or absalom, absalom, father of peace. Jesus is this one who is coming, born a child and yet a king, is the father of eternity, the one who brings eternity into being. Now, as we begin this final week of Advent and we wait for Jesus' return, um, I just want to offer to you four ways in which Jesus uh, embodies being a father of eternity for his people as we wait. And the first is this. Um, there, this could be 78 different things, right? Um, but just want to focus on a few. Um, Jesus, like a good father, gives us an identity. Um, part of what it means to have parents, and uh, I think particularly what it means to have a father, is that someone tells us who we are. This is your story. And Jesus gives us an identity gives his people an identity, and that identity is to be a child of God. This is a classic church thing that gets said all the time, and it doesn't hit, but sometimes 
it really um, can re- resonate profoundly. That if you know Jesus, you are a daughter or a son of God. You're not a, just a servant of God or a believer or a follower of God, but you are his beloved child. Um, even if you don't know a lot about Jesus, you probably know that he's famous for a prayer. Um, Protestants often call it the Jesus' prayer the Lord's Prayer. Um, Roman Catholics actually call that prayer the Our Father because those are the first two words that Jesus says in, in that prayer. He refers to God as Father, Abba, in his prayer. And actually it would have been really shocking for the people who were listening to him, especially for his critics. And they actually really despised Jesus because he called God his Father. But Jesus understood God to be his Father, and he instructed his followers to pray to God, our Father. So that now it's second nature for followers of Jesus to understand that God is our Abba. Um, Galatians 4 says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because we are now sons, and that encapsulates sons and daughters, there's another sermon on that a while back, Um, the son was the heir. Now that we are sons, he has spent the spirit of his son into our hearts that now we cry out to God, Abba. What Jesus has come to do is to give us an identity where we see God not just as beautiful, not just as believable, but our own parent. And we are his child. We call out to him, Abba, Father. This time of this week of the year, I always have a series of texts exchange, exchanges with one of my friends who will remain nameless even though you don't know her. And uh, I'm actually going to look it up right now. Um, it hasn't happened yet, but it will happen soon. And I can scroll back to my old texts. So my friend, her... Um, her parents are divorced. This may be the case within your family sometimes because of whatever circumstances. Um, people end up having step-parents, step-children, and sometimes having that blended family is so beautiful. And your family becomes this richer, more beautiful thing because it's a chosen family. And sometimes it, it's not beautiful. And for my friend, every year, this, this time of the year, she goes to her step-grandparents' house. And her step-grandparents have lots of biological grandchildren, and then she and her sister, who are the steps. And they have this big gift exchange. Now, the problem with this gift exchange is that the biological children's gifts are on a whole other level of magnitude than her and her sister's gifts. And it's like, I get this text every year, and I cry and laugh, and I think she cries and laughs too, I hope. Hopefully there's laughter, not just crying. Um, so I was asking her, she said, one year we got loofahs and shower gel, and their real grandkids got Nikon cameras and Uggs. Um, she said, two years ago, I got a karaoke mic, and all the other kids got Airbnb gift cards. Okay. Um, that's brutal. Because in some ways, this family is trying to give them a gift and include them, but the gift that they are giving shows that they're not really part of the family. And what's beautiful about what Jesus does and the identity that he gives us is he brings us into a family where there are no stepchildren, there are no stepbrothers and stepsisters, but we are all fully integrated into the family of God. That means no matter how you feel about yourself or no matter how you feel about other people who follow Jesus, 
We are all His beloved children, full daughters and sons. So God, Jesus, like a good father, gives us an identity. But also, Jesus, like a good father, He gives us a purpose. Um, The question of who am I supposed to be? Who am I supposed to become? What am I supposed to do with my life? Jesus answers that. This, This time of the year also is a time of great anxiety for me. Um, because I work with students at Wake Forest, and now when they go home, I lose all sense of purpose and direction for life um, and, and meaning of my existence. And that's not totally true, but I do kind of like, I was talking with my best friend um, the other day, and I was just saying, like, I don't really know what to do, and I feel like everything sucks, and like as far as work and all that stuff, and he was like, I just want to be honest with you, every year that you've done RUF, which is like 10 years now, you have felt like this, this time of the year. It just happens every year. And I think that lack of purpose or direction is somewhat part of my fatherlessness, um, but not all of it. But what a father can do is a father can say, look, this is who you are, and this is who you can become, and this is who you, what you need to be about. And the purpose that Jesus gives us is both very simple and extremely profound, and that the purpose of your life is to love God fully and to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, not just in your words, but in your actions, in your deeds, and how you live your life. Um, during Isaiah's time, in the time that this prophecy was written, poverty and oppression and violence and the realities of war were front and center for this people. And that's the same in our day. And part of what's beautiful about this promise is, I'm sure this will get talked about more next week, but in, um, in verses 4 and 5, it's talking about the yoke of the burden, basically like this, the yoke and the rod of oppression and of poverty are going to be broken by God. And that the boots of war and every garment rolled in blood is going to be burned that Jesus is going to come and he is going to vanquish death, but also oppression and war and violence. Um, he, he's, this is said in a different way in, in Revelation. Like when Jesus returns, there'll be no more death, nor crying, nor pain, nor sickness anymore, for the former things will have passed away. Um, that is what he is going to do, and that is what he is about And so that now our neighbor love becomes inextricably tied up in moving into places where the curse is most evident, where there is poverty and oppression and violence and war. Um, When I was in high school, there was a German exchange student um, in my high school, and she was cooler than everybody because she was European, and we all lived in middle Georgia. And... um, and so I got to take her to the prom. Her name was Bia, and she was really cool. And after prom, we were talking, and she was talking about her family, and she said, well, and my grandfather was killed in the war. And I was like, was he a Nazi? And she was super offended. <laughs> um, and what I would, but I was like, that's got to be a lot of people's grandparents, right? Um, but she was like, no. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, like, was he fighting with the allies? And she was like, no, he just died in the war. And I was like, 
as an American, it's like you don't really think, you think people go off to war and they may lose their life there. But when you're living in the reality of war, people are just dying. Um, people are caught in the crossfire. People are vulnerable to war. The purpose of God's children is to love our neighbor within the reality of war, violence, neglect, and poverty. So part of that means that we don't make war or violence with our words or with our deeds, but that we also remember the poor and the oppressed and the hurting and the vulnerable and enter into their space. Now, I say all that. This is precisely why Advent matters and that Jesus is going to come again. Um, because in some ways, all of this stuff feels fake. And if he comes again, it will all be very, very real. Um, what do I mean by that? When I was in like middle school, fifth grade to middle school, I really wanted to play drums. really wanted to be a drummer. And uh, that's like a parent's worst nightmare. And um, Well, it's not a parent's worst nightmare, obviously. But, um, had a single mom who lived in an apartment. So getting a drum set was not an option. So instead, I had this Papazon chair, if you remember what a Papazon chair is like, um, which means that you were born before a certain time. And um, I, put the, I would tape these pillows on it, and like, here was the hi-hat, here was the snare, here was this crash cymbal, here was the ride cymbal, all this. And I would listen to music on headphones, and I had drumsticks, and I would play, and I was awesome. Um, never was a better drummer than, than on the Papazon chair. And it was both simultaneously like, awesome and also like really sad like I imagine myself looking over my sixth grade self's shoulder like oh you poor you poor boy um and like you need someone to hug you and they're not here right now and I, anyway we're not going to get there um <laughs> and uh I think in some ways our life with God just feels like playing drums on that papazon chair in that we love God and turn to God and we encounter God and it's both simultaneously completely real. We can totally feel that it's happening and it's happening within our imagination. Um, what, we, what we imagine is happening is sort of beyond us and it feels like a fairy tale. But when Jesus comes again, we will see him face to face. There will be nothing between us. We will behold him and we will be caught up in his love um, and so it's worth pressing on. Also, I think part of the reason why we avoid the poor or the vulnerable or the neglected or the oppressed is because we feel like, will it even matter? It's not going to change it's these huge systems. Um, will it even make a difference? Is it is just going to feel like these drumsticks hitting these pillows and not really doing anything? But when Jesus comes again, because this is his purpose and the thing that he's doing, each of those acts of love that felt like they were pushing against a huge tide and they couldn't possibly ever make a difference will resound forever into what he is doing. And so it's worth pressing into now. Because when he comes, it will all matter and it will all make sense. So Jesus gives us a purpose. Um, but also, like a good father... Jesus sacrifices for us. The way that Jesus makes all those sad divisions cease and the way that Jesus makes his blessings flow 
far as the curse is found. The way that Jesus makes death's dark shadow put to flight is he became a human being. Like these people waited hundreds and hundreds of years in darkness and despair. Just after Isaiah's prophecy, Assyria comes and took off part of God's people. And then 200 years later, Babylon comes and takes off part of God's people. And this, it feels like everybody's best days are behind them. And Jesus comes as a human being. And the way that he works against all of that division and violence is he allows himself to be victimized by it. Like, we sometimes think that God became a human being and he was like this powerful, triumphant person, but he wasn't. He was a victim of all the structures that grind people up. And he entered that, and at the cross, completely entered our divisions and violence in order to break it from the inside so that death could be destroyed. It's like someone... This is going to be weird, but just roll with me. It's like someone that sees a chipmunk in their yard, and they're like, so cute, love the chipmunk. And then they also see that each day there's a hawk that circles, and they know it's just a matter of time before that chipmunk is going to be exposed. And imagine that person going, I wish I could tell the chipmunk what's going on, but I don't speak chipmunk. Um... And so then that person somehow becoming a chipmunk and entering into the space of that chipmunk to say, this is what's going on. And in that act of rescue and warning and calling to life is snatched away by the hawk of death. Um, and in that snatching away, as Jesus became one of us, it seemed like his, his story was over and that death had won but he puts death's dark shadows to flight in that in his death, a light is shining. The light of the world is not quenched and he is raised from the dead. Kind of what it says in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus sacrifices us for us like a good father. But, you know, we'll end here. Um, And I, I'm like hesitant to say this, like, but I also want us to embrace the beauty and the goodness of who Jesus is. The best thing that a father does is that a father comes home. And um, I know for some of us, we, we know that feeling. We're like, yes, I long for that. And for others of us, ache deeply. Um, my daughter, Rosie, I was just in uh, Denver at RUF training, and we have a landline. So next time your, your kid's like, I want a phone, just get a landline. <laughs> it's exactly what they wanted. Um, but after they go to bed, Rosie always calls me from the landline, and sometimes I'm able to answer and sometimes I'm not. But she'll ask me, Daddy, when are you coming home? And I'll say, in two days I'm coming home, or I'm coming home today. Um, I'm coming home tomorrow. Or she'll say, Daddy, you're coming home in three days. She'll leave me a voicemail, hey, Daddy, I love you. You're coming home in three days. I had chicken nuggets for lunch. Um, it's awesome. And the, the most beautiful gift that I get to give her is I actually do come home. And the way that our fathers can fail us is that they don't come home um, or that they don't show up if they're there. And it makes us have this ache 
that's not just an ache for the fatherless, but it's, a, it's an ache that the fatherless can help us have words for. Um, it's the ache of all of God's people for him to come back. It's a groaning that we have for him to come and to make everything right just because he was there and he is able to do it. And that is the collective groan that we have during the season of how long come Lord Jesus. And he is coming back to make all things new. The Father of Eternity is going to return and start an eternal Christmas where the gifts and the blessings are every day. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we do long, we, we take a break from our consuming and our preparations and our distractions to acknowledge that we really want you to come back and to make everything right. It's not going to be right until you are here because you're the only one that can make it right. We, we, want us, we want to start this eternal kingdom time with you when we can see you. And until then, we hope and we ache and we long and we show up. Lord, we take a moment to acknowledge before you those who have showed up for us. who have been as mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters to us. And Lord, we praise you for them as we hold their faces and their minds and their faces and their names in our minds before you. As they are a gift. And if they are gone, Lord, we, we honor you for them. Lord, where, um, where would you have us to show up? Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.